Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Preparing an introduction for women like Dr. Lori Sokol is no easy feat, and you're about to find out why. A psychologist, scholar, entrepreneur, writer, mover, and shaker, Lori is president of SoCal Media, publisher of business magazines that cover numerous social issues, the needs of working parents, gender equality, and strides made by female professionals determined to crack that glass ceiling. Difference Matters magazine profiles Fortune 1000 corporations that support women, people of color, the disabled, veterans, and the LGBT community. A former chair of the board, Lori was named executive director of Women's E-News in 2016. Founded in 1999, its mission is to report stories of women and girls to create a more equitable world, a world that honors, respects, and supports the lives of women and girls. Lori's articles have been published in the New York Times business section, the op-ed pages of the Baltimore Sun, Slate.com. She's a regular contributor to the Huffington Post and has been interviewed interviewed numerous times on a wide variety of TV news programs. Her book, The Agile Workforce and Workplace, A New Future of Work, was published in 2011. As a doctoral candidate in educational psychology, Lori's research focused specifically on the media's influence in crafting gender roles, exposing how stereotypes are created and maintained. So, Lori, welcome, and thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Is that really me? I'm very impressed. You know, and whoever so, that person is, I'm very impressed with her. You know, more women say that to me, and I'll respond the same way I do in the past, yes. which is, I didn't make this up. <laughs> this is you. Mean, you. This is not an alternate fact. It's actually a fact. This is, we're, we're going to deal in facts today, not alternate Real facts. facts. I didn't think I'd have to put an adjective ahead of the word fact, <laughs> because fact, as I've always known, was a word that meant it's true. But now we have the alternate, we have the real fact. Well, we're going to deal in real facts today. Okay, excellent. Okay. I want to reference one of your Huffington Post articles that was written in April of 2016, Why My Parents Are Voting for Donald Trump. So who you are today is so different from who they were and are. Yes, I am very different from who they are and were, but I was also who they are and were as a child growing up in that family, and that's important. I'd like to read one of those quotes. Mounting levels of prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness overshadowed my childhood. As the only daughter, your parents had tremendous hope for you to marry well as long as you knew your place. So I don't know how you kind of managed to reconcile that dichotomy. Excellent question. And it forces me to take a look at, and particularly trained as a psychologist, I try to take a step back and, and think to myself, how was it that I was able to survive that household, which was also very abusive physically and emotionally, emotionally abusive um, childhood from both my parents and my brother, who's a year and a half older than I am. There is a combination of things. And when you, you know, what, what's understood now in the field of psychology is that with people, they turn out based upon nurture and nature, right? So my nature, fortunately, was that I have a lot of resilience. And where that comes from, who knows? Right. Right. But it was always there. And for some reason, when I was a child and I was told repeatedly by my parents that you do not make the boys or men in your life look bad. Don't do anything to make them look bad. In other words, do not perform better in school than your brother. Do not be more athletically inclined than your brother. In so many ways, I was told to know my place, 
take a back seat and don't do anything to make him look bad. Don't do anything to make my father look bad. And my mother, who would say, don't think you're better than anyone else. Well, she meant her. She didn't want me so to So you'd think bring I'm no shame to the household. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's unusual because I'm 56. Mm-hmm. So I was born in 1960. You don't like to um, put any religion or, or, or I understand. cultural group in a category, but Jewish families tend to be more progressive and liberal. In my family, though, that was not the case. Uh, they were very, as you can see, conservative in their views. Were they born in the state? They were born in this country, yes. Hmm. So, yes, very, very unusual but that is what it is and there are exceptions to every rule for sure and they are exceptions to that rule i was born in a blue collar working class family grew up in public housing in new york city in brooklyn in brooklyn in brooklyn uh Bay, brooklyn and everyone i knew my extended family my aunts my uncles my friends all were the same way they believed in the traditional male female roles Mom stayed home, and Dad worked, and Mom did what Dad said to do. And even more than that, um, a girl's total identity is dependent upon her getting married, not to achieve on her own. Right. I'll take you back. It's actually a kind of a funny story. Uh, you have to have some, some sense of humor. I was going to say, let's get some laughs out I, of I, it. I, yes, I, I try to inject humor wherever I can. My name, Lori. <laughs> And spelled the way it is, L-O-R-I. The reason why my mother chose that name, because apparently in the 1950s, there was a show called How to Marry a Millionaire. And the female star of that show was named Lori, spelled that way. So she felt, I'm looking at your face as I'm saying this, because <laughs> if you weren't in shock before, you look like you're, what I'm about to say, she named me because she felt that would, that name and spelled that way because she felt that would give me good luck to marry a millionaire. Which is really very interesting because in the Jewish tradition, a child is named for usually a deceased relative. Yes. She felt that would give me luck to marry a millionaire. And I remember being very young, maybe I was six or seven, and then she would tell me this story. And I said, Mom, well, what if... I become a millionaire, then I can marry whoever I want. What a concept, Lori. (laughs) And she got very upset with me. No, no, no. No. Know your place. You have to fit in the box, and that's where you have to stay. So this didn't, for whatever reason, this didn't, um, and I don't know where it came from, but this made no sense to me. So, for example, I was born very athletically gifted, and academically from a very early age, I excelled. In spite of... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> the lack of Sorry, encouragement. Sorry, no matter how much they tried to crush me. Right. And actually, one of my um, favorite quotes, and I have it hanging in my in my office, is a is an image of a female figure rising from the earth with her arms spread out like a tree. And the saying is, they tried to bury me, but they didn't know I was a seed. Wow. So I I remember I used to sit looking out my bedroom window, which I shared with my brother, because again, we lived in the housing projects, we had no money, and looking at the boys Sunday mornings play wiffle ball outside, and they would never allow a girl play. Of course not. And I remember thinking to myself, why would I be given these God-given gifts of being athletically um, gifted, being academically gifted, Mm. if I wasn't meant to use them? It didn't make any sense to me. So that is what I held on to. And so outside of the home, yes, I was in the, I was put in the top classes in um, elementary school. Then in middle school, I skipped 
a grade. Um, actually, they had wanted to skip me from th- th- second grade straight to third grade without even doing sec- finishing second grade, but that wasn't allowed. And I remember when I, um, in middle school, I came home and gave my mother this piece of paper, this form to fill out because there was a national test, national reading test one took in the 60s and I guess 70s as well, where if you got a, a certain reading score, you were eligible to uh, enter this program in middle school where you would complete three years of middle school in two, two years. And I brought the, the form home for my mother to look at and sign, thinking she would be proud. And what she did was she rolled it up into a ball and threw it at me and said, you're never going to think you're better than anyone else. Oh, no. It ended oh, up no. It ended up that she did um, agree to sign it because a friend of hers told her to do it. This is, <laughs> so I did end up going into the program. And then in uh, high school, I could have graduated a year early, but that would have meant I would have graduated the same or earlier than my brother. It was big enough I caught up to him for the year, but I would have graduated earlier than he. And that she said, happening. how would that look? Of course. How would that look? So I continued. I went to college, although my parents wanted me to be a secretary. My father worked in the post office, and my mother also worked for the government city, the transit authority. Neither of them went, well, my mother went to college for a year, but then dropped out. My father um, did not go to college, and they had wanted me to be a secretary uh, in the post office because they thought... That's steady work. Pension. Pension, yep. Mm -hmm. All of Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And as my mother said, you could work for an executive. Mm Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, a male executive, that's exactly what you're, you mean. Uh, I thought it to myself, I wouldn't dare say it. Of course it. not. And I said, no, I, I am not doing that. I went to college, went to Brooklyn College, uh, always wanted to be a writer, although I had nobody around me. You know, people ask me, well, where did you get your, your hope, your inspiration Or from? your sense of self. Or what I'm capable of. And um, when I was in high school... I discovered Ms. Magazine, MS, period, Ms. Magazine. Sure. And that really, that publication saved my life. Isn't that something? I would read Gloria Steinem's work, and she she spoke to me. She understood me. She resonated with you. Absolutely. Isn't that fabulous? And when I would read the letters to the editor, which were in the front of every issue of the magazine, there were more women who spoke to me, and I said, I don't even have to meet these women now. I know they're out there. I know I'm okay, and I'm not the only one who feels the way that I do. So this propelled you, and this this gave you not the courage, because it sounds like you had that, nor the wherewithal either, but... The path. They 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 showed me a path. The strength. And the possibility. Mm -hmm. showed me possibility. And it was through my reading, um, Virginia Woolf, a Room of One's Own was major mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. me. There are some books that also, I was a huge reader as a kid. Mm-hmm. I was very sick in uh, kindergarten. They just sent, I taught myself to read. They sent books home. And <laughs> so between being a big reader and then I knew in middle school, I developed a talent for writing. I knew I'd be a good writer. Um, and of course, I had my journal every day. That was my friend. And that's what I wrote. And, and that saved me too. Being a writer save me to be able to put it's therapeutic anyway for anybody to put their thoughts sure. down on paper or on a com- type into a computer whatever you use although i still now use um the no pen, pen. <laughs> I, there's something about <laughs> too. the exercise of putting your thoughts down mm-hmm. on paper by using a pen um it just it's therapeutic i have to say that i'm in awe of people who do that and it's not any kind of false uh, deification because for me writing is an incredibly 
contrived act. That's why I'm so verbal. And for me, you know, sit down and write down your thoughts. I can't do it. Now, what well, are one my, of my thoughts? One of my favorite quotes is, um, I think it was Hemingway, Hemingway who said, writing is a lot like suicide. The hardest part is getting started. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try and remember that, although that's another one so of my just, shortcomings. So just so that you know, <laughs> it's difficult for every writer. And uh, talking about Gloria Steinem, who again was my even though I hadn't met her back then uh, she really was my hero from back then and that's why I went into magazines right out of college I knew I belonged in magazines hopefully feminist magazines but still magazines and why I ended up starting my own magazine publishing company years later and difference matters is really a tribute to Ms. Magazine the importance of diversity and writing about diversity so that people don't feel so alone So all of this there. makes perfect sense. Oh, it's, it's come full circle. who you are today based on who you were back then. Look, this begs the question, <laughs> were your parents proud of you? It took them a very long time. My brother, my older brother, never left home. He ended up in the post office um, and uh, is really not very functional. Uh, we have no relationship because... Um, it's very important for I'm a parent. I have two kids, a son and a daughter. It's very important for parents not to compare their kids. And every time I achieved, for example, I remember one time I brought home a trophy uh, for being best female athlete in, in some summer um, athletic uh, league. And I brought it home. I showed it to my father. And he looks at my brother and says, you don't care, do you? I mean, this is. Uh, <laughs> oh, you don't care that, that Lori, that your, was your sister wanted to, right? right yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. I, that you don't. It, what a ridiculous question to ask. And number two, so we were always compared, and my brother, um, I believe, projects onto me that I, I am the. Without me, his life would have been a lot better. <laughs> Put it that way. You know, it's we so funny that where people think you have a maternal instinct and parenting is such a natural act, oh, and we that's... don't know what we're doing unless. Well, who do we learn from? We learn from our no parents. No kidding. No and kidding. And if they're dysfunctional, if they're maladaptive, we have no one else to learn from. I went through, oh my God, how many years of uh, schooling in psychology? I, I can't even count the number of years. Probably, uh, I know I went through 12 years of grad school, getting two master's degrees, a postgraduate degree as a school psychologist, and then a, a, doctorate. PA- yeah. then a PhD in psychology. And along the way, I took many, many courses on child psychology and, and development. I taught as an adjunct professor at Montclair State University in New Jersey, um, and it helped me quite a bit. I also went through my own therapy. I did not want to repeat with my children. No kidding. What my parent, I, I couldn't, and I knew I, I was determined not to do that. But so. on the other hand, you weren't back then a single parent. No, but I felt like a single parent, I have to tell you. Okay, okay. As mm-hmm. one time I, I saw Betty Friedan, you know, author mm-hmm. of The Second Sex. She had just come out with a book called The Fountain of Age, probably about 20 years ago. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. She said, a mother is a single parent whether she's married or not. Now, this was 20 years ago, and I do know that more men certainly have stepped up to the plate. I just met a woman last week who's she's a full-time um, very successful attorney, and her husband's a stay-at-home dad. There are many, many more men who are stepping up to the plate uh, without any gender you know, issues. They just, this is what I want to do. Healthy egos. But still, for my, my experience anyway, I felt like a single parent throughout the marriage for 19 years, and actually things became easier for me when um, I did get divorced because 
there was one less person to have to take care of. I understand. And he was more yeah. demanding mm-hmm. uh, in yeah. many ways than mm-hmm. my two children. So with all my training and all my my own therapy, mm-hmm. my I'm happy to say that I, I broke that pattern. And my kids and I, they're very, they have a great sense of self. They're very successful. They're kind, wonderful people. And there's your legacy, Lori. Well, more than that, I always tell them from the very beginning, no matter what else I do in my life, they are a priority. They never question that. Mm-hmm. They know that, and I drop everything for them. So that in of itself gives them an, a tremendous sense of self. You know, I'm going to pick up on your line, you drop everything. And based on my introduction, it's when hard. you drop everything, the earth shakes, <laughs> the you earth know, shakes. because there's so much that you do. Listening to you, your focus is a no-brainer. I mean, it makes I have been purpose. very, very focused throughout as long as I can remember. I always knew from an early age that I would be involved in making a difference in women's lives as a writer, as a feminist. I always knew that. So as time went on and I started my magazines, Difference Matters, and had a radio show myself, and I started to get more involved in the feminist movement and women in media, feminist activists in media. So the woman who I mentioned, Gloria Steinem, who helped really her work and her magazine saved me as a kid, I came to know. I actually was in a writer's group with her. We'd meet at her home every few weeks a number of years ago. We'd meet at her home, and I would read my writing to her. Mm-hmm. She'd read her writing to us, and I consider her a friend. And she knows it. In fact, when she turned 80, I wrote a piece about it, her turning 80 for the Huffington Post, and I had to put in 40 years of what she meant to me in 800 words or less. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and I did. And the, the title of the piece was What to Buy Gloria for Her Birthday. <laughs> and she actually, I sent it to her, and she was, as, as anyone would expect, Gloria was riding elephants in India for her 80th birthday. I mean, what yeah, else really? would she do? Of course. <laughs> yeah. So I sent her the piece. She was in India, and, and through the Gloria, she always responds to me within 24 hours. And there she was in India, and she responded, and she was very touched by it. But I'm just one of so many people who haven't been touched. But in my life, actually, my hero I came to know as a friend. I tell my kids, and I tell everyone I know, keep your eye on, on that dream of yours, because it can happen. But did you know what that dream was yes, for you? Yes, always. Always. I knew I wanted to be a journalist, a feminist journalist, to help change women's and girls' lives around the world. So. As of July 1st, 2016, I took over the role as Executive Director of Women's E-News. For people who are unfamiliar with this organization, if you could do a synopsis of what Women's E-News is about. Absolutely. Women's E-News was started uh, just about 17 years ago by Rita Henley Jensen, the founder who started a new service, an international news service for women and girls to give voices to women and girls around the world, particularly those who have no voice. So on five continents in over 50 countries, including our own. We report on the issues, the challenges, the successes, right, of women and girls around the world. Uh, And who are your reporters? Oh, they're journalists in every every area of who the world. Who may have other jobs, but yes, who mostly who, freelance. Who write, right. Who exactly. Are, We're based in New York. We're based mm-hmm. in New York. And they have other jobs, but, but they uh, report to us and for us. And we tackle issues that most of the mainstream media do not choose not to tackle because they're harsh. And they're not but sexy they're, enough, are they're they? They're not sexy, but they're real. And we need, we need to um, bring them to the forefront. So everything from sex trafficking to child brides to female genital mutilation Mutilation. and everything in between um and we bring it out they were kind of like the associated press 
mm-hmm. for women. So a number of publications and news sites pick up our stories, and without us, they won't be. These stories won't be out there now. Not we feel not enough pick them up because again, they're not sexy. And it's all done online. It's all online. Mm-hmm. Womensenews.org. Women's plural mm-hmm. enews. Uh, when I was board chair in uh, 2013, a publication based out of Cambridge, Massachusetts called Teen Voices, uh, which was a print publication, but the w- as did happen with uh, print publications during the recession, they had trouble con- continuing to support printing. They, they tried to go convert to an online presence, but were not as successful as they would have liked to have been. So they came to us to see if we would... Um, Sponsor them, sort of? Or? Well bring them into us and take and, ah, and mm-hmm. uh, take Where does over. your money come from? Our money is all based on donations. Donations. Mm-hmm. We're a nonprofit, mm-hmm. 501c3, right. based on donations. So I spearheaded that, and we, we ended up, uh, yes, teen boys. Absorbing is, is them, now, so to speak. Right. It was always written by teen girls. Now, we, we just recently got a grant from Eileen Fisher. Um, people, the clothier. Yes. Mm-hmm. You may not Designer. know who mm-hmm. is a tremendous, tremendous supporter of women, and particularly girls, to get their voices out there to help empower them. And this is the second year in a row that we received a grant from them to train teen girl journalists around the world. Wonderful. Wonderful. So that's what we are doing. And they were all paid. And I just want to make sure everyone knows that our writers. I mean, how many women pull this off? <laughs> Fewer than you would well, ever I think. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yes. We have a managing editor. We have an editor of Teen Voices. We have a social media manager. There's myself, uh, members of the board, et cetera. So, and we have freelancers here in the, this country as well as around the world, and that's how we pull it together. Mm-hmm. I'm struck, or maybe it's more like I'm awed by the fact that you can juggle as many balls in the air as you do. Now, you are very able to just kind of weave it all in together, whether, you know, running your business, sitting on this board, writing this article, speaking over here, you know, your head could spin. Well, when I take spin classes, actually, it helps <laughs> relieve some of that stress. Touché. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. What I do now and all the things I do now is nothing in comparison to when I was, um, I was a, a mother of young, of, of babies, and going to grad school at night for 12 years at night while running a business from home. Good Lord, woman. I remember when uh, I was pregnant with my first, who's now 26, I just started grad school, and I remember being in a summer um, abnormal psych class, and there was no air conditioning. It was, I was due in August. It was late. It was two weeks before my due date. There was no air conditioning in the classroom. I actually pulled my chair out and sat in the um, the hallway because at least there was air going back and forth. A and I sat there kind, taking yeah. notes. I'm mm-hmm. in my ninth month of pregnancy. <laughs> and then even after giving birth, I still was able to do everything. The only thing that would throw a wrench in if one of my kids got sick or the nanny, or we had a nanny the first year for each of them, the nanny got sick, then everything had to stop. But now I don't have that because my kids are older. Sure, Things sure. Things have to stop. And so this is this is a breeze in comparison to what I used to have to do. Talk about Sokol Media. I had been in magazines from the very start since I graduated from college in, in 1981. But even though I, I wanted to be a writer, I ended up on the business side. Go figure. Go figure. And I didn't like being on the business side because I wanted to be a writer. Mm-hmm. But after all those years... The business side was became very easy for me in comparison, as you said, to write. You still yeah, but blank. business is also uh, you know over my head as okay, well. Okay, but it, it 
it was very easy for me. Okay. I remember mm-hmm. going to working at a major publishing company. I was very successful at the age of twenty five. I was with a major publishing company. I had my own secretary, my own office, and. I said to myself, this is not a five-day-a-week job. I can do this in two days. I make the use of every minute. And the other thing is, this is going to surprise a lot of listeners, I take naps during the day. I sleep eight, nine hours at night, and I take naps during the day when I'm home because I work from home. So I do all that, and I still get all of this done. But what so. about downtime? You know, do you go to the theater? Do you go to a movie? Oh, yeah, my weekends are mine. My and weekend, you, Friday so, night, so you, I stop. Saturday, I stop what I'm... Doing Sunday, I start to work a little depending on the time, but of course. But so in other words, Lori Sokol equals balanced life. You've made that As much as I can. When people say, oh, you want it all, right? And I say, what does that mean? You mean, that's no different from saying, um, we just want what men have. (laughs) So why do we have to feel guilty about wanting it all? And what's wrong with being an achiever? Well, for people who are um, intimidated by that and insecure within themselves, and let's go there. You want to go there? Let's talk about being an achiever as a woman versus being an achiever as a man. Well, it's just a given to be an achiever as a man. But by the same token, if they're not, they have a lot of trouble with their sense of self. Oh, sure. sure. He's a loser. So sexism Mm -hmm. um, exists both in the male world and the female world, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it's a shame. This while it's moving, it just so moves so glacially. I'm very concerned about the future of women and men in this country, and men in this country, uh, everybody. But I'm going to interrupt because we're basically run out of time. But uh, I want to end it this way, and yes. it's going to sound corny. But there are Lori Sokols around, yes. and I know that it may seem like a myth of Sisyphus in our future, of pushing that rock up the mountain. But we have role models like you, and your legacy, aside from your children, is what you do. And we need to bring up, we need to have more women and men like us. And they are increasing as well. And you know what? There is a, a silver lining to all this. Maybe this is what we need for women. Like my daughter, who's 22, she said, Mom, Girls in my age group, we were born into having the right to choose. We've had this is showing us. You mean this can all be taken away? Referring to Gloria Stein again, what she said was uh, since the, this election that for a woman who is a victim of domestic violence with her spouse or her partner, the most dangerous time to her life is when she's about to leave. Mm. But you wouldn't tell her to go back. No, of course not. So that's where we are. This is a very dangerous time for us, but we're not going back. And we're going to end on an upbeat note. We're so grateful for the Lori Sokols of the world. Well, I mean, I love what I do. I meet the most fabulous, wonderful women. I do the same thing. And you want to know something? <laughs> There's so many more women for me to meet and introduce other people too. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for what you do. I would also want to say that there are a lot of men out there as feminists who I know. are doing amazing work, and we need to bring them out. And we Into do that fold. through Women's E! News. Uh, we bring them more to the surface, bring them out there, because other men will listen to them. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And they are, they are, they're even more courageous, and they are uh, taking a step that a lot of men won't, and they're so secure within themselves that they have a lot to teach other men. Um, and also for women to know that there are men out there, and we're all in this together. Absolutely. Lori Sokol, thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure, thank you. My pleasure, too. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.